This is a KUNV Studios original program. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. You're listening to There's No Aging in Vegas, a one-stop shop for all things positive aging in the Vegas Valley and any place within ears reach. This show features topics relevant to adults 50 and over that help them live their lives to the fullest. Listeners will meet a variety of residents who've taken the reins of aging and are willing to share their tips and tools for creating a positive mindset and lifestyle. We're starting now. Hello and welcome to There's No Aging in Vegas. I'm your host, Pat Landacre, and I want to tell you why is there no aging in Vegas? Because we're too busy living and loving life. I created this show so that I could help older adults embrace aging, take the reins of aging, and live life to the fullest. This is truly my dream manifested into reality. So I'm glad you're all here. This is episode two, episode one. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Ron Garrett. He did an amazing job, Mr. Vegas Entertainment uh, Radio. That's how we kicked it off. And our guest today is no exception. He's going to share with us his knowledge of healthy aging, brain health, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of other things. So stay tuned for that. But before we get there, we have our AARP five minutes. And I want to welcome Renee. Are you there? I'm here. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. How are you, Pat? Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, You know, you're one of the mega volunteers over there at AARP. You've done everything. I just saw you at CES. You were walking over at Town Center, you know, with the group, the members from AARP. I mean, can you just tell us, uh, because you do so many programs, tell us about some of the programs that you run and host. Well, thank you, Pat. I am so excited to be working with AARP Volunteering. One of my biggest things that I love to do is working on the Speakers Bureau, and that gives me the opportunity to do presentations across the community. Well, give me an example. Like, what kind of Speakers Bureau's topics do they have? Well, some of the topics include brain health, making sense of caregiving, providing resources for caregiving, and also giving them an opportunity to get out of the house and to learn new things. And also we have... Fraud, the Fraud Watch Network, and I get to do many, many sessions on identity theft and fraud. My favorite one is online romance scams. <laughs> Why is that your favorite one? You know, when I, I got interested in online reading and watching videos about different online scams, and then lo and behold, AARP had the opportunity for me to start learning more and training others about it. Wow, that's fantastic. I know you have a lot of fun. What did you see? I'm just curious, when you were at CES, what did you see that was just like you couldn't believe that we're headed that way in terms of age technology? Yes. One of my favorite things was the glasses that read captions. That is near and dear to my heart. So I can put on that pair of glasses and talk to you 
and our conversation is going across the glasses. That was some of my favorite wow. um, products there. Wow, that's that really cool. amazing. When you are out and you're doing your training, um, well, first of all, tell you have to be a member, right, to take any of the AARP classes? No, you do not have to be a member. AARP classes are open to anyone, any age, anyone can participate. You do not have to be a member. That's the great thing about it. And you get such great resources. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I you know, I was the speaker for AARP Nevada uh, up in Reno and here in Vegas uh, last year, and I was really kind of surprised as uh, Charlie got up. You know, Charlie is the state director. He does a lot of the legislative stuff, but I was really surprised when he got up and talked about all the many different nuanced programs that AARP have. Is there, I know that you're going to be uh, involved in a new program uh, that Joy Jenkins, the president of AARP, uh, kind of put together from her book, and it's uh, yes. Disrupt Aging. Tell me a little bit about that. You had to get the training for it? Yes, I had to be certified to be an instructor for this Disrupt Aging classroom, and it is an opportunity for us to go via Zoom into colleges and universities across the nation to teach college students about the trends in aging, and also their personal stake in aging. And so it's a great opportunity for me to, you know, go forward and talk to college students all across the country. Yeah, and it's multi-generational. They're just starting, uh, visibly starting at the college and community level, right? Yes, yes, they're starting to. They're now bringing it into the community and doing a little bit. It's a two-and-a-half-hour course, mm -hmm. so they're breaking it down into a 30-minute to an hour course to the community just to talk about the trends in aging and the, the effects that we're having on the community because there's so many different generations living today. And so it's such a great opportunity to teach others about aging. Well, you know, I've always said, when I'm teaching my classes, I always say that if aging was taught from the beginning, if kids grew up understanding aging and respecting aging and realizing that we're all aging, it would really be different. So this is going to really help that. What do you think about that program, Prez? Um, look, I'm a longtime fan of AARP. They, there's just amazing information that you get in an information-rich world. They are like they're the mountain. They're the mountain that you go to to get the information from it. But um, particularly that program is very exciting because I agree with you wholeheartedly. If we started teaching people about what aging actually meant from the beginning, from from the young, from a young age, you would understand because aging occurs across the lifespan. Mm -hmm. It's not just the end of lifespan. It's across the lifespan. You have to understand and appreciate it and think about what you go through, what others go through, the people that you care for, the people in your community. So uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, Renee. You know, you got the, the president of UNLV's approval of the program. Well, I'm, I'm going to really be looking forward to uh, watching that come out. I think it's just uh, back east now, but it'll be nice to get it here and be able to really get people trained up on that. So, but Renee, yes, go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say it's a growing program, and yeah, it's starting to, to move our way. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you coming on. You know, you do so much for AARP. I mean, you're the photographer. Every time I do anything, you're there snapping uh, photos. And I know that you always tell me that this is uh, in your retirement. You couldn't have found a better retirement partner than AARP. Um, 
what has meant the most to you about your relationship with them? Being new to the state, AARP, like you said, just being a photographer gives me an opportunity to meet people and to make new friends. I get to learn about what people are doing. I get to see other events and participate in other events that I wouldn't, you know, maybe be able to get into. But because I'm the photographer or I'm helping lead an event, I get to participate. And so it's just a great opportunity to move into different spaces. And that's what I love. Yeah. Being involved in lots of different things. Well, you certainly are out there doing it all, and I really appreciate you coming and taking time today, Renee, to come on and and represent AARP in the AARP 5. And so I'm going to let you get back to your life, and uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm out here living my best life, Pat. Thank you. (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, so many resources that come out of AARP when I've gone to conventions when they're represented there. It's amazing all the different areas that they focus on. I mean, Native American, this, LBGTQ, that. I mean, it's just so packed with stuff. But anyway, let's move away from that and get over to my guest, the president of UNLV, Dr. Keith Whitfield. I am so thankful that you were able to make it. I know you're busy and everything, um, but I thought maybe if I push that aging thing, because we both <laughs> love that, that I can get him over here. I want to take a minute before we start talking. I want to just read a little bit about you. I, I was going to highlight, like I normally do, some things about you out of this bio, but then I thought, no, just read it. So, Keithy Whitfield is an experienced university administrator and prolific scholar in the fields of psychology, health, and aging. President Whitfield joined UNLV in August 2020 after serving as provost, senior vice president of academic affairs, and professor of psychology at Wayne State uh, in Michigan. He previously served as vice provost for academic affairs at Duke University, where he was also professor in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience and co-director of the university's Center on Biobehavioral Health Disparities Research. A student success-focused leader, Whitfield is proud to oversee one of the nation's most diverse universities for undergraduates and one one that holds the highest recognition for both research and community engagement. In 2021, he introduced top Tier 2.0, a strategic plan update that moves UNLV forward on its path to becoming a top public urban research university through focused growth in undergraduate and graduate student success, economic diversification, community engagement, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is such as an interdisciplinary approach to faculty (laughs) hiring, excuse me, and research and the introduction of the first ever digital president to connect (laughs) and meet with the needs of the student. And I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to have his bio uh, on my website so you can read more about him. But I want to stop at the digital. I want to ask you, who has the best personality? You are the digital virgin. You know, it's funny. I think the digital version is better looking. 
you know, they, they cleaned it up a little bit. But uh, I don't, and he knows a lot, but I don't know if he knows more than me. I think uh, we don't want to be on like Jeopardy and, and, and have to go back and forth because he might beat me. Though. Depend on him. You know, I went on there just yesterday because I thought, well, let me check out this digital president. And I was really shocked at, you know, the old avatar, they kind of look kind of robot-y. You look like you. Now that I've seen yeah. him in person, you look <laughs> like you. It sounds like you. And I just was like, wow, this is great. So I did ask it a couple of questions because I wanted to kind of dive, see how deep it would go. Uh, so my questions were all focused on older students and things like that. And I was shocked at how deep you could go because you're, and I'm probably not going to say it right, but you ask at the end, did I answer your question or do you need any more help or whatever like that? So I said, well, let me keep this going, right? So I asked another question and they all had the word aging adult or older adult or senior in them because I wanted to get there. And what I was hoping to get to, and it's probably there somewhere, because I teach over at UNLV Ollie, I wanted it to say a great resource for you, because all my questions were about learning, would be our UNLV's Ollie, you know, long, Lifelong Learning Institute. It, it should have said that, and uh, I have made a mental note to make sure. You know, it's so funny. We live in this time when we're both excited and scared of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And... Um, uh, couple of years back when when I wanted to try to connect with students and they were distant they weren't here on campus like they are now yeah. that was going to be the method to be able to do it and so we embraced it um, but you do see that it's not perfect um, it's not me I'm not perfect either but it's not me and it's always learning so yeah. actually you using it helped it to learn more yeah so I'm going to now plug into our AI guys to say, hey, you know, it needs to have this as an answer. So it'll put an answer and then it'll connect to 5,000 different things. Oh. So it's amazing. It's wow. Amazing. Well, I'm glad I was able to pull that out. I'm going to run over to Ollie and tell everybody, hey, you know. <laughs> but no, that it was really well done and, 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 and just really intelligent. And that's what really took me aback. And so I'm sure students with regular questions, I'll call them, are getting their questions answered uh, with that, but I thought it was awesome. I really Thank did. You. Thank so, you. Thanks for that. We need an aging uh, digital aging or something like that. We're seniors because you know we have so many different products that do AI, but they're all so separate. You know, one for this, one for your doctor, one for we need just one where just people who are living and actively living can go on and ask those same questions. But Thank you for letting me ask that. That wasn't in the questions <laughs> I sent you. <laughs> um, so let's get to the questions I did send you. And I just wanted to know, when did you realize that you wanted to focus on brain health and aging? And Well, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's like what happens for a lot of people. It was a personal experience. Um, when I was in graduate school and I was trying to figure out exactly where my focus was going to be in psychology and adult development, um, my grandfather passed away. My grandfather was... He had a he had a third grade education, but he was the smartest man that I that I had ever met. You know, he could argue anything, and he could mm -hmm. argue. And when he passed away, he passed away from a pretty significant uh, heart condition, and there were no connections. But I thought, shouldn't we have known something beforehand? And so, um, one of the foci in my uh, graduate department was looking at the relationship between health and cognition. And I really wanted to learn more about that and, and actually thought about it that I not only wanted to study it, I wanted to study it in African Americans, partly because of the differences that we find in terms of, of health outcomes and life expectancy. And uh, to tell you the honest truth, because nobody else was doing it at the time. Yeah. So I wanted to be in a space where I didn't have to compete with too many other people. So um, back then, I, and, and it's funny, somebody just told me the other day that 
Uh, they think that I wrote the first paper on black cognition really? and aging. Uh, and I said, well, I'm not that old. It doesn't seem like, you know, how is that, can that be? But it's that, you know, in the, it, this was in the 90s, in the mid-90s. Yeah, um, yeah. It was one of the first scientific papers anyway. Wow. Yeah. So your focus started pretty early on. Did you grow up seeing healthy aging in family, relatives, you know, community? I did, but, you know, now that I'm a gerontologist, and, and actually my latest project is on longevity and to see uh, African-Americans living into their hundreds. You know, I thought they were old because they were living into their 60s. Yeah. And so, you know, part of it is a perception of what is old. Um, but it was always that I had um, role models who were seniors, who were the ones who, they didn't let too much bother them. They, they, they had always these words of wisdoms of, you know, it's hard to be an eagle when you soar with turkeys and, um, <laughs> they, you we know, do have a lot of them. Uh, yeah, no, that one, that one applied to a whole bunch of times, but, um, lots of words of wisdom that I could live my life by it. So, uh, very much so grandparents, um, and, and even, um, they all lived in Chicago. So we, it's like when we went to Chicago, that was like the field trip. Yeah. And you, you met all your relatives, and they're ranging in age and raging in wisdom and raging in what they did. Um, that was always exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, just, just real quick, I mean, have you found, are we dealing better with mental health in terms of accepting it? Because, you know, a lot of times we just kind of deal with it ourselves. We have some healing methods or things we've used throughout the ages. Do you see that improving at all, that we're accepting that kind of mental health help as blood? I do think that we're reducing the stigma that's associated with mental health problems. And mm -hmm. I think about this across the lifespan. Um, in my day job as president university, um, I'm very concerned about the mental health of the kids coming out of K through 12. Um, as, as you know, we had a, a horrific incident on our campus. Um, that showed a light on a lot of frailty that people have yeah. um, and, and struggles. I mean, that was a situation that no one should have to deal with. But, um, you know, we were already designing to be able to deal with stress, depression, anxiety, and isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. I call them the big four. Yeah. And um, so we were, we were working towards that. But I think as a society, we're getting a little better for aging. Um, you know, Alzheimer's disease, if you think about it, it's a minute in my, my lifetime. Doctors used to not prescribe or, 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 or say that you had Alzheimer's disease because insurance didn't cover it. Mm -hmm. You had to have something else. Mm -hmm. So now we've embraced it. The National Institute on Aging, and I think it was about five or six years ago, doubled their budget. Just to focus on? To just focus on Alzheimer's disease and dementia-related uh, uh, diseases. And what you're seeing is, is that investment has paid off. Well, let me tell you what I see, and I actually was going to uh, speak with you about this, is that now we're seeing all these commercials on TV. One, I want the audience to know that the, there, there's different kinds of dementia of which Alzheimer's mm -hmm. is one. A lot of people think there's dementia and then there's Alzheimer's. So I want to make that clear. But those commercials we're seeing on TV, I saw a Louis body commercial. Mm. I wow. mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, just a regular commercial. You know, they sh they're showing that if your parent isn't remembering or if you're forgetting things, have you seen any of those? Uh, it may be Alzheimer's and all this type of stuff. We didn't see that. I don't even remember it two years ago. It, it is interesting that you're getting, again, it's still the stigma that goes around. When you t take the stigma off, you can actually get to the real reality of what's going on, of that you said the point, boy, I, I was about to say preach, sister, but... Um, 
that there are different kinds of dementias and yeah. that we need to keep them in mind. I think sometimes we want to put everything under Alzheimer's disease and use that as a catch-all, but there are different ones that affect people differently, uh, different ages. You mm -hmm. can see some of it happen very early, like frontal, uh, uh, frontal, frontal temporal mm -hmm. dementia, um, uh, cardiovascular dementia, Parkinson's dementia. There's mm -hmm. lots of different types that come and, and intersect and have different complications to them. Some more depression than others. There's lots of things that we need to know and that, that allows us to be able to both care for others and even for us to be able to understand what we might be experiencing. So the knowledge uh, information that's coming out is, is to me, it's, it's fantastic. I, I love it. I just was so happy to see that because it does uh, give people the opportunity to ask that question of their parent or their, their child. I mean, whoever may be suffering from that. I know my husband, he died of brain cancer, and he was suffering at the end a little bit of, you know, cognition issues yeah. and different things mm -hmm. unassociated with the actual brain cancer, but of course associated with the actual brain cancer. Um, but anyway, thank you for letting me kind of sidestep on that. That because I, I want people to know these commercials they're seeing that, you know, they're kind of uh, uh, sending you a message. Now, look, I forget stuff every time I go downstairs. <laughs> I'm not sure if I have something or not. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to ask you. So this show is all about aging and how it looks and has lived in the valley. Uh, does the culture and attitude here differ from other places you've lived and when it comes to aging? I tell you, I have not run any of my studies here, although, you know, don't give me two seconds. I love to, I love to collect data. <laughs> um, but I think it does look different um, compared to some other places, like thinking of uh, I've spent time in Detroit, I spent time in North Carolina, um, did work in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things is that um, I think that there's a bit more healthy, active aging going on here, and it's partly because of our weather. Um, now, granted, there's three months and nobody wants to be outside, but still you can go outside versus... Um, when I think of uh, actually living in Pennsylvania, the stretch of time when it's actually dangerous to be outside, yeah. it's dangerous to be shoveling snow if you're older because of the, the physical exertion that it takes, um, we have the ability to do it. It doesn't mean that you do, but you have the ability to do it. So um, that is a benefit. I think, um, too, there's something about the sunshine that uh, hopefully changes our attitudes and make them a little bit more positive. Mm -hmm. I, this is nothing I've collected data on. This is just observation. Well, no, I get it because I moved here from Denver. When my husband mm. passed away, it didn't take me very long to realize I never shoveled the snow before. So mm. <laughs> that was one. Like, I got to go somewhere. And we were going to retire here anyway. So it was just happened sooner than I, I expected. But, yeah, you know, it makes a big difference, those types of things that you may have to do. Um, but I'm curious. So... Is Vegas conducive to healthy aging with all that comes with it? You know, I, I think that we are definitely getting there. Um, you know, one of the things when you find places, when you look at um, whatever it is, USA Today, that talks about, you know, the best places to be able to live and retire, mm -hmm. um, there's a few things that tend to be in common. One of them is, is, uh, is activities. Another one is, is um, transportation. Another one is health care. Um, and we're getting better at all of those. I mean, you know, activities, this is the entertainment capital. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. But I think once the health care, this is one of the things that UNLV is deeply, deeply committed to. It's, it's what we are uh, designed to do, and it's part of our mission is to be able to improve health care for the Valley. Um, I think that that's happening. Um, we have great 
partners like the NHBC, with the, uh, the University Medical Center, UMC, um, all of these are starting to work together to be able to build a much healthier culture yeah. that, that starts from when they're babies to basically being able to talk, take care of people as we grow older. So mm -hmm. I think that it's hitting those different little things that get measured as a great place to live. But um, I love it. You know, I've been here for four years now. I find this place so welcoming and warm. Yeah. That's a piece of a good community is yes. when you can know that not everybody's got to be perfect and, and be just the friendliest person, but that this is just, it's a friendly community that lives here. And yeah. I think that that's another positive. And I think it has a lot to do with the transient population. Yeah. They've got people from everywhere. I mean, every country, every everywhere. And, and that's very conducive to, you know, acceptance and different things like that. Um, so I completely agree with you on that point. And that's what I've kind of discovered because I, I do programs for aging. I teach aging. I write a monthly column in the Vegas Voice magazine, which is a magazine that's been around for like 20 years for 50 plus people here. And so I kind of live and breathe that. And I have the opportunity to meet a lot of people and hear what their feelings are and their thoughts are on particular things in terms of aging and what they would like to see better, you know. Uh, I do a lot of emotional intelligence classes because I've determined that's the great connector for seniors as we age and we, we don't understand why we just snapped on somebody. Hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the things that change in our brain that maybe shift how we approach certain things and that class seems to help a lot there. But um, let me continue with my questions as I don't want to make you late. <laughs> um, so... How do, I know you spoke a little bit about how race and, and healthy aging intersect, and you seem to believe that things are improving, especially in our community, but with other cultures, you know, do you think the fact that a lot of cultures, it's, it's, it's in their culture to uh, have the parent come live with them, check on them, make sure they're good, it's just a natural occurrence that, you know, once they get old, you're going to take care of them. I mean, the mindset seems to be uh, very different culturally. There are variations in, in cultural expectations about how we treat our older adults. Mm -hmm. And um, some of that is being changed. I mean, it used to be, for example, that uh, in Japan, there was this really strong culture that the you know oldest son would take care. Well, the oldest son is doing different things now, so it's, it's having to be distributed differently. The same interesting variations in China. There's interesting variations here as well, even I think geographically when you think about the North versus the South, that in the South, um, and, it, and it really does depend on what's going on in the family. If the family is broken apart to experience and, and to, to move away and to, to, to capitalize on opportunities that are there. Mm -hmm. Once that family is broken up from where it used to be, it used to be, you know, we would be regional. Um, people can live across the country now. Um, some of that actually changed and the expectations change. One of the things that I think is a relatively recent and would be very hard because I think it's very recent is that with the ability to be able to work anywhere, um, I think for older people, they can live closer to their grandchildren. And for adults who need to take care of their parents, they may be much more likely and be able to take care of their parents and be closer mm -hmm. because they're not constrained by where they can work, where yeah. they have to work. 
So we're going to see all of that changing in this, these next few years. You know, we're, we're post-COVID, and it has changed the way in which we live and that we take care of others. Well, post-COVID, yeah, COVID, I mean, that changed a lot because that brought a lot of family members back into the same household. Mm. And then I think families discovered, hey, this ain't so bad. You know, because now you have all these sandwich generations, right, living together and helping each other. And that's really a great thing. So, hey, let me just ask real quick, my director, I have two minutes left. So I just want to ask you quickly, because it's been fascinating to speak with you. What's ahead in your next five years? What's ahead in my next five years? Like, what are you going to invent or create? (laughs) Well, one of the things is I have uh, data from a study that's really just tailoring down and it's time to write papers from it. And it's on longevity in African-American families, long-lived and short-lived families and taking a look and seeing what impact stress has on 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 the discontinuity of living in those yeah. families. Um, I am very much so hopeful and looking forward to staying at the university and there's so much we can do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an incredible university and an incredible place. Uh, the dynamic changes that you're seeing, you're seeing both in the city but you're seeing at the university too. Um, I want to see the university grow. There's, I have a whole lot. Uh, there's, I do my state of the university address on March 5th. And so you'll have a lot I'll talk about then, but, um, it's, it's, it's just trying to meet the challenges that come up. And so some of it is planned and some of it, you just got to go with what comes at you. Yeah. You like it that way? Just kind of going with I, I do. I think being a military brat, you kind of are used to kind of going with the flow and, and loving challenges yeah, yeah. and adjusting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. And uh, I just couldn't believe it when I was reading up on you and just realizing how deep you were into aging because I live, breathe and eat aging. Uh, so it's really been a, a super, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. And I've learned quite a few things from you as well. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing for the community, too, because our aging population here is growing. And so uh, with that growth needs to be knowledge, needs to be care, needs to be creation of community. And you're doing that. So thank you. Well, thank you. I pre- Everybody hear that? <laughs> okay. Hey, I want to thank everybody for joining me today on the show. Uh, thank you again. And I'll see you on the next show.